All right, Exod, or I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 4. I want to read a couple of verses and then we will pray again just for sake of the fact that I'm a creature of habit. So Ezra chapter 4, look in verse 1. The Bible says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the, cap- of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esau Haddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for letting us be here. And God, I do pray that you bless the service this morning, the remainder of it. God, the preaching hour. Uh, God, Lord, one of the most, uh, the most important part of the service, God, Lord, where your word is expounded, God, and preached from, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to hearts and deal with folks that are here, God, saved and lost alike. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, God, Lord, help us, God, Lord, to see you for who you really are. God, help us to see biblical principles, God, Lord, to see the truth of your word, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ezra is... Uh, my son, actually, not this Ezra, but I named my boy after this book in the Bible. And Ezra is a priest who, when Israel and Judah, when they were taken into captivity down to Babylon, and then from Babylon it goes on down through several Gentile kings, Ezra and Nehemiah are two folks, and those books named after those two gentlemen are books that delineate, they go through the history of when the Jews packed their bags and headed back to Israel, or particularly Jerusalem, to rebuild the house of God and to rebuild several things there in Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls. And so it has a lot of history in it, and those might be two books where you tend to skip over a little bit when you're reading through your Bible. And let me just put in a plug right here, right fast. If you've never read your Bible all the way through, get with it. Get to reading through it, man. It, it, it do you, it, it's such an understatement to say that it'll do you a lot of good. It, that's, that's, such a, that's such a wimpy way of presenting that, but I don't know any other way to say it other than the fact that God wants you to do it. If somebody wrote you a letter, uh, they wouldn't really rather you read parts of the letter. I want you to read the whole thing. And so God has a lot more to say than what you find in the book of Psalms and the book of Romans and John and Paul's epistles. All of that's wonderful, but you need to read the whole Bible. A lot of that history, you'll find yourself right there in the middle of it. And so when you look in Ezra and Nehemiah, largely what you find in Ezra and Nehemiah are spiritual principles that you can apply to building a local New Testament church. Surprise, surprise. A lot of great material in there, and one of the principles that I want to try and get across to you this morning is this idea, and I I titled this message after this principle, You Can't Build With Us. You Can't Build With Us. I hope you understand, as a member of a church, or those of you that are visiting this morning, glad to have you with us this morning, but I hope you understand, as as a redeemed member of the body of Christ and going to a local church, not everybody can contribute to the building of a local New Testament church. It is exclusive. And boy, that is such a nasty way of presenting things nowadays. Because America's all about inclusion and opportunity and affirmative action. You know what affirmative action is? That's totally disregard somebody's talents, totally disregard their skills, 
and you've got to hire this person because they're from this ethnic background. And that stuff creeps into churches. Uh, totally disregard what the Bible says. We Never mind, never mind that the Bible says that women can't be pastors. I mean, we've got to be equal, equal status, and so we're going to put women in there. Straight out of hell. I don't give a flip what your United States government says when it comes to things that have to do with the church. God's church trumps your government. When the government says, hey, this is the way that the church got to run, that's right. That's the way God looks at the stuff. That's right. And so you can sit in your seat and imagine that some preacher or some particular denomination has something against somebody, you know, because of their quote-unquote ethnic background or because, you know, they're a woman or uh, whatever the case might be, but it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with biblical principle. And what we're interested in, what we're interested in is how God wants things done in a local New Testament church. Now, one of the things, one of the marks, one of the earmarks of a local New Testament church is the idea that it's separated from the world. And that's another nasty term. That's something that people, that's not preached much on nowadays because everybody's quit preaching standards and now it's I accept you and you accept me and what it amounts to, what it is, not what it amounts to, what it, what it is is compromise. You don't say nothing against my sin, I won't say nothing against yours and a lot of times the preachers are just as rotten and wicked as the church members are. That's why they don't say nothing against what anybody's doing in their church. As long as you keep coming and keep putting money in the plate, Hey, everything's fine. We'll preach on something to make you feel good. That's not the way that God laid it out. And when you start doing it the way that God lays it out, it draws a clear line in the sand. Remember the Alamo. It draws a clear line in the sand, and it makes you get on one side of the, of the fence. He who sits on the fence gets shot at from both sides. And what you got is a bunch of churches that are filled with double-minded Christians who are unstable in all their ways, a bunch of limp-wristed, panty-laced, wearing fellas, yes, sir, who ain't got the guts to look at their wives or to look at their children or to look at the fellas that they look around and say, shh, or shut your mouth. They ain't got no guts to do that kind of stuff no more. <laughs> Might offend somebody. You probably need to be offended. You probably need to have your feelings hurt a time or two. Uh, let me tell you something. You, those of you that are my age, and I'm, I won't tell you my age. You can look at me and guess if you're close to my age or not. Uh, it applies to everybody, but it particularly applies to my generation. Those of you that are my age, you didn't get all your raisin by the time you got 18. You didn't get all your raisin. I'm just telling you. I know that because I know me. I still have a hard time making my bed when I, when I get up in the morning. That's something that should have been taken care of by the time I was 18. I got so quiet there. Man, you'd think I'd have just preached on listening to rock music or drinking beer, man. So what I do is I sleep on top of my comforter, and I have a blanket that I sleep on top of my comforter. And when I get up, I just fold that one blanket, and there we go. You say, what are you doing in the winter? Wearing more clothes. That's right. That's right. But see, you didn't get all your raisin when you got out from underneath Mom and Daddy's house. And so sometimes somebody got to look at you. And listen, let me tell you something. Some of you got, had a great raisin. Some of you had parents that just about drill down the back of your neck and say, hey, you're going to do this or I'm going to split you in two. But I tell you what, I tell you what, every now and then you backslide. And when I say every now and then, I mean probably once a day. Yeah. 
See what I mean? That's right, man. And so you need somebody to constantly be standing up and telling you, hey, this is the right way to go. Hey, that's the wrong way to go. And you can see that when folks start showing up in church and start wearing tighter clothes, the ladies start wearing tighter clothes or lower blouses or shorter skirts. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen here. If I can, listen, if you can put a pair of pants on, gals, which I don't recommend wearing pants to church. Hey, man, if you can help it, I don't recommend wearing... Again, there you'd think I'd have preached about pornography or something. But hey, we serve a holy God, don't we? Okay, I don't recommend wearing pants. But listen, if you're going to wear something and you can put a quarter in your back pocket and I can tell whether it's heads or tails, your pants are too tight. Carl Lackey said when, when your husband has got to hold the pants out and you got to stand on the bed to jump in them to make sure they fit, time to go up a size or two. Now, see, things like that get real tight. It gets real, real fussy in here. But you, you look at a preacher and, and kind of get huffy about kind of stuff like that. But you don't get huffy about going out in public dressed indecent. Amen. I'm not going to get huffy about making fun of that foolishness. Amen. You're, you're, the problem, listen, the problem with immodesty, I don't know how I got on this talking about you can't build with us, but I'm going to ride it right into the ground, I guess. The problem, listen, the problem with your immodesty is not that you ain't got sense enough to know what's right to wear. The problem's your pride. When a fellow starts standing up behind the pulpit and saying, hey, that's not modest wear, and you, you got an internal problem. And I ain't talking about your guts or your heart or your liver. I'm talking about your dirty black heart. Listen, let me tell you something. Just because all of the reprobate whores out there wear clothes like that, that don't mean it's okay. We went over this in Sunday school this morning. Just because the rest of the world says homosexuality is right doesn't mean that it's right. Homosexuality has, it has consequences. Okay, well, things like immodesty and drunkenness, and smoking dope, and being bitter, they have consequences. Okay, well then you can get all huffy with a preacher as much as you want, but I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, whether you like it or not, bub, right is right. And see, when you start preaching that way, what it does is it, it, is it parts the Red Sea, so to speak. It starts putting people on one side or another, and it makes a church, and it, start, it makes a church to where... Man, they don't blend in with the rest of the world. And we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. When a man has in his heart to get as close to a holy God as he possibly can, there's something that begins to separate him from the filth and the wickedness of this world. People will stop looking at you. People will stop looking at you and saying, Oh yeah, he's just one of us. Because you ain't one of them. God start to put his stamp of approval on your life and it'll start to intimidate folks. I'm not talking about lording over people, but there's something about people start looking at you saying, man, I just, I don't like that guy's attitude. That's usually how it comes out. He's arrogant. I, I wish I could, uh, boy, I wish a lot of you folks that are here, I, boy, I'm glad you're here. I wish you was here. I wish, I wish you could have heard Brother Mike Easter preach. I can't tell you how many times, which you stick around for January, he'll be here. But it's a blessing. It's a good, good week of meetings. First Sunday starting in uh, January. But anyways, I can't tell you how many times I heard people, I've heard folks say along the lines, he's just arrogant. He's too arrogant for my liking. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers, I've heard stories of preachers criticizing Brother Mike for how arrogant, quote unquote, he is. 
And yet these are all the preachers that got problems with people sleeping with other folks in the church that ain't their husband or wife. Got problems with gals wandering around in the church that got too short of dresses and too low cut of blouses. Got fellas slipping around, laying out Saturday night, getting shot drunk. We never had any of that trouble here. You know why? Because Brother Mike got up and roasted your hide over that stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, some folks in here, I don't know, you might, you might be doing that. You might be doing that. But you know what, you know what the modern-day church wants to do right now? We just want to get along. I'm not interested in getting along. I'm interested in getting along with the Lord. But nonetheless, let's just get along. And what you're doing is you're doing the same thing that these guys came up here in Ezra chapter 4 and they came up against a situation. They go back and they're trying to build the house of God. They're trying to put together the place of worship. That's what this is. We all come together in this building and here's these people, what we're doing. We're not just coming here. I don't know why you come to church. I don't know why you come to church. I hope you have the right motive. We're not just coming here. I hope you don't come so that the preacher sees your face on Sunday morning and so that way he ain't got nothing to say to you next Sunday. I mean, if that's the case, maybe you should just come Easter and Christmas. You know I don't believe that. But that's, that's about all the religion some folks have. It brings them in on, on Christmas and it brings them back on Easter. But I'd hate to be dependent on your religion to get you to heaven. You ain't got enough. Whatever it is that the pull of this world is stronger than the pull of the Holy Ghost and God's book ain't quite enough. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on in your heart. Go ahead and get uncomfortable. It is what it is. But see, what happens is you get a church like that, you get a church where we just, all, we just want to all get along, don't want to make nobody mad. And what happens is somebody, an adversary, verse 1, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, the adversaries heard, and they said, hey, they came up to all Israel and they said, hey, let us help you build the house of God. But you're our adversaries. Yeah, but we want to help you build the house of God. Wait a minute. You're our adversaries. We're, you're the people that we're fighting against. They said, yeah, but we seek your God like you do. They said, no, you don't. You are not seeking our God like we do. Herod told the, the, he told the wise men when they came and came to Herod and said, hey, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Herod had not given it any consideration, the fact that there was the king of the Jews born. He hadn't given it any consideration until three fellows showed up looking for him. And he said, oh, he said, maybe I need to figure this out. And he got over there and started messing around with those scribes and Pharisees. Hey, where is he supposed to be born? They said, oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they told those wise men. And he said, before he sent those wise men away, he said, hey, when you find him, come and bring me word. He said, because I'm looking for him like you are. You know what God did? God intervened in that situation and said, he's not looking for Jesus like you're looking for Jesus. He's looking for Jesus the same reason that Cain was looking for Abel. And it ain't to sit down and have nice, sweet fellowship. I mean, you, you do realize, listen, let me back up a little bit. Maybe I've got ahead of myself a little bit. Maybe you're looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. You do realize, you do realize that we are in a warfare, right? Whether you want it to be that way or not, there are folks, there are 
principalities and powers even that we're fighting against. Everybody that you meet in this world is not your spiritual buddy. Contrary to popular opinion, Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer, God help you if you like Joyce Meyer, especially if you're a fella, red-blooded. Enjoy some lady standing up preaching like a fella. Hacking? No, thank you. No, thank you. I mean, I could, I could understand a little bit more if it was some lady standing up talking to me like a woman. I still, would, I still wouldn't listen to it, but I could understand. But man, no wonder, no wonder we're starting, no, I say we, no wonder denominations are starting to ordain lesbians into the pulpits. You've had it right there in Joyce Myers the whole time. That made me mad. I hope it did. I hope you quit listening to her. She's a reprobate. She got so much good advice. For who? A woman doing something that God told her not to do, preaching to fellas? She's preaching to a bunch of spineless fellas the same way that Jezebel was running those eunuchs. You need an explanation of what a eunuch is? I'm not going to give it to you from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yes, sir. Anyways, hey. Hey, we seek your God like you do. No, you don't. You are our adversaries. You are the folks that we are fighting against. Yes, sir. You know, as a Christian, you've got three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And a lot, most Christians have already laid down their arms when it comes to their flesh. Quit fighting against that. And you know what happens as soon as you lay down your arms and quit fighting against you? You quit fighting against the world. And here comes the world, and it just flows right into the church. Here comes contemporary Christian music. And Joseph Haberdank, or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. I'm just so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for GMA because it brings all of us together. Who's us? Uh, Christian rap and Christian country and Christian rock. and mm-hmm. Reprobate. Reprobate. You say, I like Joseph Haberdank. Reprobate. It's wickedness. Yes, sir. I figured I'd get a little bit of stiffness right there, but it's still wrong. Yeah, fella get into a church and start collecting money from churches and then stand up and give a testimony how he's a victim of cocaine. No, no statement of how, hey, man, I got saved and God delivered me. I, I had to go through the 12-step program of Cocaine's Anonymous. Mm-hmm. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. See, just because, just because a bunch of fellows stand up and sing a bunch of gospel songs, you've been suckered into thinking that they're spiritual. And you think that he's spiritual for the same reason that a bunch of reprobates in Church of God churches thought that Elvis Presley was spiritual. You say, for what reason is that? Because he made them feel good. Get out there and let Randy Travis sing you a song about just a closer walk with thee. And you think that he's spiritual. Never mind the fact that he was busted, driving naked, drunk. I just sweep that under the rug. That's why you do that stuff with guys like Jimmy Swagger. Just sweep that stuff under the rug. Not about a holy God anymore. It's not about pure religion and undefiled. It's about, let's just let everybody in. I mean, they want to help us build the church. 
They just want to. They just want to help us build the church. And so now you got two denominations that are founded on some of the most staunch Protestants that ever existed: Martin Luther, John Wesley. They got denominations named after them, and start ordaining ladies in their in their pulpits. Both of those fellows didn't believe that stuff was right, but they started ordaining, and now they're ordaining homosexuals. Well, they just want to. They want to help us build the church. You can't. Help us build the church. You have no place. It's not your place to help us build the church. I'm, I'm going to get more specific here in, the se- in a second. But I'm trying to paint a picture to you this morning that you're not going to be able to swing those doors open wide and everybody that comes in. Listen, I want anybody to come to this church if they want to come. I want anybody to come. But just because you're here, that doesn't mean I'm going to cut you loose on the piano. Yes, sir. What a, lot of, what a lot of independent Baptist churches are doing is they're having young folks that are raised in church and no profession of faith, no measure of spirituality, but they've been raised in church. And so what we do is we take them and we put them behind the piano and let them play for the congregational music. And what it does is it gets in that kid's mind, hey, I've been here my whole life. I've got to be saved. No, sir. No, sir. Just because you work in a church... I, I know where I'm at. I'm in South Georgia. I know the stuff that we're dealing with. It's just stuff that's going on. Big churches down right across the border, right across the border in Florida, have little kids get up, just play in church and do all of this stuff. Wonderful. I'm glad you're involved, but don't you think for five seconds that means you're saved. Don't you think for five seconds that means you're right with God. If a preacher can get up and preach while he's backslid, you can get up and play the piano or sing while you are lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You soul up, soul up like a bloated, puffed up hog. Still right. Still right. Yes, sir. Going to have to assault this stuff. You're going to have to get this foolishness out of your mind. I want folks to come. I want folks to get saved. I want folks to be involved. But not everybody can get in and just help build the church. There's some things that got to be put in place. We here at this church a couple of years ago had, had a, a food bank here. And still, I think we still do that every now and then. Not so often here lately. But we had a food bank. And the moment that that thing started up, you know what happened in this community? People started coming out of the woodwork. Oh, all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, have an interest in quote-unquote spiritual things. I got news for you, honey. Food bank ain't got nothing to do with spiritual things. It's got to do with your belly. It's got to do with whether or not you're hungry or not. Get somebody in here that wants to take charge. Don't even, don't, don't even know if the individual's saved. Sorry. You can't help us build the church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know a church across town, next county over, got a church over there. They started a food ministry and had all these folks getting in there doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, the preacher found out that they were trying to hold communion out in the parking lot. Were you there when that took place? How about that? Uh, Last time I checked, communion... Lord's Supper, that's an ordinance of the church, not a food bank. Upon what authority do you administer those things? It's not a sacrament. It has no saving grace, but it's an ordinance of the church. You can't help us build. Why? You're not part of us. You can, be, you can become a part of us. 
You say, how do you do that? By getting saved. You got to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the first thing you got to do. When, when you become a member of a particular local church, one of the first things that should be asked to you is give me a, give me a statement of your testimony. How did you get saved? That's the first thing we ought to know. We're not, we're not interested in the fact that you was born in church and that you've been baptized six times and that you've been the altar boy or girl or whatever. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, are you a child? Are you, are you of the same lineage that we are of? Are you a child of God? Have you been born again? Get down here in South Georgia. I know a lady goes to church over at First Baptist Church, and I tried to talk to her about her soul, worked out at prison. One of the nicest ladies you ever met. I think she's something like 162 years old. If she was here, she'd probably kill me over that. But nonetheless, she pretty elderly lady, but you couldn't tell by looking at her. And I tried to talk to her about her soul, and she said, Well, I've been teaching down at First Baptist Church for the last 50 or 60 years. So what? What does that mean? All that might mean is that they have a lost person teaching Sunday school. You see what I'm saying? See, we get into this mentality. We've gotten into this mindset of we're just going to open up the doors and let whoever come in and do whatever. And what that does is that allows a bunch of lost people to get into a church and make it comfortable for lost people. Now, trying to make it comfortable for lost folks. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're lost, I hope you feel welcome. But I hope the Spirit of God makes you feel as uncomfortable as you possibly can. I hope the whole time you hear the Spirit of God saying, Boy, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. There's something missing. There's something you need to get right. Because there is. If you're not saved, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But see, what we're going to do is we're going to open up the doors and let whoever wants to come in help build the church. You can't. You can't. Let me tell you why you can't. Because you have no propensity for a spiritual mindset. You don't have one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. When you go through those two chapters, Paul goes through there and he's dealing with a carnal church and he's trying to lay the foundation of the fact that, listen, in order for you to be spiritual, you have to have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Makes sense. If you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you, you have no propensity to look at things from a spiritual perspective. So you get a bunch of lost folks in a church and cut them loose and let them do whatever, and now all of a sudden you have removed the spiritual emphasis from the church, and church becomes more about humanitarian efforts than it does the gospel. So now, now you've got to resort to recruitment, not evangelism. We're not, that's, that's why churches are now engaged more so in marketing than they are door knocking and street preaching. It, ain't, it is not any longer about evangelism. You say, why? Because it's not about the gospel. It's about recruiting people. It's about how can we fill our church. You know what lost folks are concerned about chiefly? They're concerned about numbers, which God's concerned about numbers. He's got a whole book in the Old Testament about it, numbers. But that's all lost folks are concerned about. You say, why is that all they're concerned about? Because surely if we've got more people agreeing with us, we've got to be right. We have to be right. If all these people agree with us, though hand joined in hand, if all these people agree with us, we've got to be right. But though hand joined in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. 
Mm -hmm. Just because you've got homosexuals marching in the street, that don't make it okay. Still wrong. Just because you've got 1,500 churches on the East Coast that have got all this trash in here where they're... I don't make it okay. Just because you've got beer in the churches on Sunday morning at your seat, that don't make it okay. It's still wrong. Yes, sir. Still wrong. Just because somebody looks at you because you're shacking up and says it's okay, don't make it okay. That's right. Still wrong. Ain't it? Amen. I know it is. I know it's, I know it's not right. But see, spiritual things are not appealing to lost folks. And so what we've got to do is we've got to take things and soften down the spiritual aspect of things. And so you just got to let go of evangelism. You've got to let go of Bible teaching. You know, you come in here and you teach on Wednesday night, and I understand people work all week. I, I totally understand that. But you come in Wednesday night after Wednesday night, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, and you sit there and you watch people with their droopy eyes, and you think that you're losing their attention. So, hey, let's, let's quit doing Bible studies on Wednesday night, and let's have youth nights, or let's have, you know, Awana classes, or let's have Andy Griffith shows, or... You say, what are they doing? You're letting lost people dictate the spiritual direction of the church. Straight out of hell. It's wicked. It's wicked. Let me ask you something, Christian. Where do you find in the Bible that the world ever had the right to dictate to a Christian how he's supposed to be a Christian? I'll tell you what you do find. You find it where Christians in the book of Acts were dictating to the lost people how they were supposed to be. See, that's too controversial now, ain't it? It makes me uncomfortable. I ain't going to talk to nobody that way. I'm not saying you've got to be a jerk, but hey, I do find a bunch of fellas in the book of Acts got some boldness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Turns into recruitment instead of evangelism. You know what the difference between recruitment and evangelism is? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. I'll just leave that alone. Big difference. Let me put it to you like this. The difference between recruitment and evangelism is one of them has no animation. One of them has no life to it. One of them, there's no love. A drill instructor trying to recruit young recruits, he couldn't really care less about those young recruits. What he cares about is those numbers. Got to meet my quota. You get out here and look at this Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. Oh, he cares about people. I'm not so sure about that. There's a church out there in California, a church right here in, on the East Coast, the Journey Church. Got so many of these little churches that now they're calling them campus churches. This is a branch off of this church. This is a branch off of this church. I'm not against churches growing. I'm against apostate churches growing. You say, what is that? That's not evangelism. That's recruitment. Let's put on a song and dance. Let's put on a play. Let's make it entertaining and let's fill up the church with a bunch of reprobates that are no more spiritual than the fellow behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, sir. You know what these fellows said? You can't build with us. Well, why? We seek your God just like you do. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're, you're not part of us. You're not an Israelite. You're an adversary. You're an adversary. Listen, you come in here this morning lost, without God undone in your sin, you're an enemy of God. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to get you to see that, that you're an enemy of God and that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins and you can have reconciliation. You turn away from that, you will remain an enemy of God. 
regardless of how good you think you are, regardless of how friendly you think you are, regardless of what a good reason you think you've had, you'll remain an enemy of God. On that basis, you're not going to come into a church, into a local New Testament church, and try and run things the way that you want them run. Since it's so good and lively in here right now, let me just go ahead and throw this in here. If you're saved on your way to heaven, and you know you are, and you're living like you're lost, you're not going to have much to do in building a church neither. You can't. can't. Can't cut you loose. You understand that? I, I, I understand that you might have hurt feelings over something like that. I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's, but that's the way it is. You say, why? Because I'm not going to trust you to take the spiritual direction of the church and make it a carnal one. That's right. That's right. Can't cut you loose. When you got more of an interest in what you're wearing and less of an interest in your disposition, when you got more of an interest in getting along with folks than you are interested in pleasing God, something's wrong with your priorities. Mm-hmm. When you're more worried, listen, when you're more worried about personal pleasure, how can, how can a fellow cut you loose? How can God cut you loose in His church to take a spiritual organism and try and make it something that is more carnal? God can't trust you. That's right. That's right. Spiritual things not appealing to lost people. You put lost people in control of something, they'll make it carnal overnight. God, they're, they're going to do it. And so a lost man's got to take the gospel and tone it down to where it ain't so offensive. Just can't offend people. You can tell people that Jesus died for their sins, but don't name any of them. Don't name any sin. Mm-hmm. What sins did Jesus Christ die for? Let me give you a list and let's see if you're guilty of any of those. That's different than just standing up and saying... Jesus died for your sins. That's what people don't like. You know what John the Baptist did to Herod? He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You talk about meddling. You talk about towing his, or or hoeing his tater rows. Mm -hmm. He right in Herod's backyard. What, what I do down at my house is none of my business. No, but it's, it's none of your business. No, but it's God's business. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. All that trash you've been looking at, all that trash you've been listening to, all that trash you've been putting down the hatch, God knows. God knows. God's business. God's business. We just want people to feel accepted. I do too, but you're going to have to be accepted by God first. Take your Bible and look in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll find a landing place here. Ephesians chapter 1. The gospel is one of those things, it is, it is the thing that is the most exclusive, narrow-minded principles, and yet it is the most inclusive. You know what? You stand up and preach a message like this and say, hey, if you're lost, you can't, you can't build with us. That's what Ezra was saying. Hey, we, we want to help you build the house of God. You can't. Why? Because you're not one of us. You're not, and in spiritual terms, you're not saved. You're not born again. Well, that's exclusive. But you know what? You can be included in a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, look in verse 6. The Bible says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, 
wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You see that? That is the place where everything's changed. The moment that a person bows his knee in prayer and humbles himself before God and says, God, I am a sinner. I trust what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary to wash, to pay for my sins. Pray that you'd wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. The moment that a, uh, um, an individual gets down and does that, he's accepted, accepted into the beloved. That's why when you want to join a church, that's one of the things that people want to know. Hey, you, we can put your name on a church roll, but that has nothing to do whether or not you're part of the body of Christ. We, we, can, we can put your name on a church roll and make you a part of the organization. All that means is, as far as the state of Georgia, you're a part of this organization. That means nothing in the sight of God. It means nothing. You say, what makes the difference? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? Are you accepted in the Beloved? Listen, if you're accepted in the Beloved, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are accepted whether you feel like it or not. You may not be living like it. You may not be living like it, but you're accepted. You're part of us. You know why it is that we can have guys that are not a part of this church, Brother Mike Easter, Mark McGahee, folks from other churches around in this area, they come for revival meetings, and man, they get in here, and they listen to the same kind of preaching that we do, and they say amen just like us, and they do all that stuff. And man, it's almost like we just fit together. You say, why is that? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, we're accepted. We're accepted in the Beloved. I tell you what, you get accepted in the beloved, you could help us build. But see, you're not going to build and that make you accepted. You have to get accepted first on the basis of what Jesus Christ did for you. Then you can contribute. Amen. 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 Some of you little youngins in here, some of you young folks sitting in here this morning, I hope you're saved. Listen, I, we want to train you up and we want to let you get as much opportunity. Maybe try and create a choir here for some of you youngins. But I'm telling you, none of that stuff makes you a part of the church. Just because mommy and daddy is a part of the church, that does not make you saved. Amen. Yes, sir. Doesn't make you saved. You say, what makes me saved? What, how goes it between you and God? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? What are you going to do with your sins when you stand before God? You're going to try and defend yourself? You're going to try and justify yourself in the sight of God who sees everything? Or are you going to say, there's my advocate, Jesus Christ? That's what makes the difference. You know what? When you do that, when you say, hey, I need an advocate, you know what that does? That makes you a part of us. You might be stinky. You might not have combed your hair this morning. You may not have brushed your teeth. But you're part of us. Yes, sir. And you know what you can start to do at that point? You start to build. Start to build. Hey, you can't build with us. Why? You're not, you're not part of us. You're our adversaries. But I'll tell you what, you can get that changed. Get it changed in a moment. In a moment. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us this morning.